0: Hello friends and welcome to your Kings of Anglia Twixmas podcast. It's a special little podlet today, Mark Heath, Alex Jones, only two of us working today. I hope you've had and are having a great Christmas. We're in that weird kind of nether, nether zone now, aren't we, between Christmas and New Year where you forget what day it is, no one's really doing anything, um, apart from us, of course, who've been working, a little tiny violin. If you are lucky enough to be in a job where you have basically the entire Christmas period off and come back on January 2nd, more power to you. You're very sensible, and I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, have a point for me, uh, Alex. How are you doing on the Christmas scale? Because I've I've now reached the point where I'm I've eaten more pork than is medically advised in the last four days. Mm. My body's saying to me, "Have you forgotten what a vegetable is, you big idiot?" Um, I've also battered the liver like an early Mike Tyson opponent. Um, I'm I'm yeah I'm I'm all Christmased out. I would say.
1: Hmm. Yeah, um, the festive decorations have come down from behind me. I still have my festive cold that is kind of working its way through. And I've woken up with quite a sore throat this morning. And I know you've got the same kind of thing, losing your voice. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be a really interesting podcast for people to listen to as we both kind of slowly fade away over the next 45 minutes or so. Um, Yeah, it's it's a bit weird, this kind of post-Christmas slump, isn't it? It's all you have all this build up, but and then you come out the other side, and you're just like, oh, okay, what now? You're in this weird limbo until New Year's.
0: Yeah, no one really knows what to do, do they, at this time of, mm. of year? Because most people are off work. You've you've already done a lot of eating and drinking, um, and it's now trying to fill that time, isn't it, before uh, before New Year, and you can kind of get back to normal. Um, mm. But I always feel like this about this point where I've I've just done too much eating and drinking, and I, I need to do something about it. I haven't got enough sleep. My voice is going. as You say. <laughs> Um, so it it will be a challenge to see if we can make it through this podcast today. Um, it may, it may, oh god, I'm starting to cough. (laughs) Oh boy, excuse me, it it may just um slide off into silence uh by the end of the show, anyway. Many people say that was a good thing, certainly. My wife would. Um, Uh AJ, we are here, of course, to talk about Eswich Town. Um, they lost at Leeds since we last spoke. We're not going to talk too much about that because it was a few days ago now. Um, and then bounced back with an impressive 1 1 draw against. Well, statistically, the best side in Championship history, Leicester City last night, um, which is going to form the main basis of the show today, clearly. Kick us off then, AJ. What did you What did you make of this game?
1: Um, yeah, I think that it was just a really solid performance, wasn't it? It was exactly the reaction that they needed in, in terms of the performance. And I think that that was maybe the most important bit, because you look at the Leeds game and oh, it was strange in a way that they kind of Ended up losing to four shots on target, but also were, let's be honest, on the right or the wrong end of a, a fairly deserved um, route, to be perfectly honest. Um, it was a clinical side, a fast side that, that made them pay. Mm. And it just felt like with this one, they learned their lessons. And I think it was a game that suited them a little bit more. Leicester, a little bit more kind of slow, methodical. You could just sense that they weren't really pressing too much, all those kind of things that town can struggle with. Um, and it was a tactical battle, the two best, probably the two best tacticians, I'd say, in the division, head to head. And um, it, it made for a really entertaining game and one that I think was just between two sides that are at very similar levels. And I think that that's a pretty impressive thing to say about a side that was in League One last season, coming up against the best team, as you said, statistically in the history of the league. Mm. Um, maybe, yeah, Leicester are at a slightly different level and they can do it pretty much consistently week in, week out against absolutely everyone and that would be a level that Town want to hit. But in that one-off game last night, really impressive to, to, to toe-to-toe with them.
0: What do you make it as a game? Because I, I know you said before we started recording, you you, you thought this might be the, the most entertaining, enjoyable game that you've covered for Town. But it, it was a different game to one the one that I was expecting. I thought it would be as I've said, a feast of, of festive, flowing, all-out, attacking football back and forth. A shootout. Like a, bas- a bit like a basketball game, yeah. But it ended up mm. being slightly more scrappy and attritional than I was um, I was perhaps envisioning. With, with Obviously, both sides did did create chances and there were nice passages of play, but not as much as I was expecting. What, what did you make it as, as, a, as a game between the two best sides in, in the division?
1: It was really a tactical battle. I think it's the best mm. way of looking at it. You think maybe I think there were some similarities with the Middlesbrough game in a way. Um, the difference there was that Ipswich were a, the better team against Middlesbrough. I mean, there was a clear kind of gulf in that one. Um, it felt like the two sides had very similar setups, but it was just one you had more quality and, and more momentum and more confidence. This was, in the same sense, yeah, a similar game, but the difference was that there's two sides and the same momentum and heading in the same direction, and that's what made it such a fascinating battle. And you could tell like the different facets of it that made it quite interesting. For example, you look at Leicester's system, so much said about that with the inverting fullback, so the right-back pushes up into midfield, they have a the centre-back at left-back in Wout Face. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. The, the, the centre-back who famously scored two own goals against Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, as a natural centre-back, he shifted in uh, on the left and it gave Wes Burns lots of space to work. And he won about 8,000 corners down that side. Um, just little bits like that, thinking of like how Leicester manipulated the space to, again, with their system, create the overloads down the middle. Meant that they then had kind of they ended up forcing Ipswich to go quite narrow to stop the overloads, and then it just took one pass out to uh, Mavadidi to get the goal. It was just such a nice back and forth tactical battle in that sense, just the way that the two teams manipulated each other, manipulated the space, um, even if it wasn't end to end goals, 4 3, 3 2, whatever, just in terms of the approach that the team, the two teams took. Really, really interesting.
0: And obviously, Town ended up getting a, a well-deserved point. I don't think anyone would, would disagree. Even my Leicester City-supporting wife, who draped her Leicester City scarf across the top of the TV before the game, um, said afterwards, yeah, deserved a draw, um, happy with that sort of thing. But how important do you think that will, that will be in, in terms of the season, AJ? Because I feel like it. it it's... Um, I know Stu has described it as pivotal. For me, mm. it is definitely almost... Season-defining is probably too much, but it's one of those things that if, if Town get to where they or on course for going. You may look back at that game. Given what had come before, you know, the, the draw with Norwich, mm-hmm. the absolute tonking at Leeds where they weren't very good at all. Um, and then they, they're 1-0 down and facing another another defeat. First back-to-back defeats in the era. Three games without a win. The chasing pack closing closing on them. And then they, they show that resilience again, that character that has come to kind of define this team. And they get the draw. And it's one of those that almost feels like a win for me Mm. um, because it it came after what had come before up against such a good side. And it was almost like they kind of really put a a marker in the sand as this is, this is Ipswich town. This is what we are. And this is what we can do against the best in the division. I think that going forward, that that could prove to be such an important point for a number of reasons.
1: Mm. I mean, we looked at it before and we got asked the question, wasn't it? If you want to take win one, draw one, lose one, what Mm. would you do? The end of the day, they ended up getting a worse total than that. And it was maybe one where you can look back on it. And, you know, understandably, you can look back on this kind of period with frustration because you have the Derby game, which obviously was the most disappointing probably of the three, just in terms of everything surrounding that. The Leeds result where if they'd gone and, and beaten Leeds, it would really put daylight between the two teams, especially thinking that Leeds then went and dropped points big time on Boxing Day, losing at Preston with their goalkeeper, um, committing some GBH, Um yeah. so those kind of things, and, and having those two go the wrong way—well, not the Norwich game totally the wrong way, but one point from those two, it, it felt like a, a kick in the cojones a little bit, mm. didn't it? So then to to lose <laughs> Leicester, which was probably the one, or you know, if they were going to lose against Leicester, would have been the one where people probably would have expected it and, and understood it the most, mm. but. It would have probably stung when you look at it in the context, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where, yeah, uh, even though they didn't get the three points, I think that on another day they easily could have done. You look at the stats, outscored them on XG, shot 19-5, to 5, endless amounts of corners. Kieran McKenna has to get them out on the training pitch just practicing corners for the next two days going into QPR. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just think it was really what they need and also the way it came let's be honest Mm. like the the way the roof lifted off 93rd minute sam Morsey did look like it was basically sam Morsey smacks it in and it was kind of a slight deflected goal i think then you see the replays and you kind of understand how many deflections it took the double bounce there um in the moment who cares it was just such an a a really powerful moment like all that kind of pent-up frustration it's the loudest i've heard portman road celebrating a goal up there with probably the Broadheads opener against Norwich, like yeah. that was special.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. On a personal note, the timing of the goal wasn't great. I was, uh, obviously the deadlines are tight. I'd already written the star back page, um, yep. a, you know, a valiant defeat uh, against the best side of the championship. And then I'm rewriting everything um, with the wife getting quite angry about the fact that they've, they've uh, conceded a goal next to me. So it wasn't ideal from a personal <laughs> point of view, but there mm. we go. I'll take it. Um, should we talk about the key, the key moments of the game? Yeah, uh, AJ. First of all, we have to, I guess, start with um, George Hurst going down injured. Now, this is one of them, mm-hmm. whenever you see a non-contact injury and the player stays down, you immediately think, oh, that's bad. It's, it's, a, it's a knee going or, you know, that kind of thing. And it looks, clearly, it looks to be his hamstring. Mm-hmm. So, um, thoughts on that? Because we're going to talk in a little bit. Dane Scarlett's been recalled. Um, mm-hmm. And suddenly, Tanner looking a little bit little bit lighter striking. Hamstrings are not things that tend to recover that quickly particularly when you're someone who puts yourself about as much as big George Hurst. Um, bit of a blow, yeah. this one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just one where he overstretched and he kind of pulls up. Uh, mm. It's going to be one where the actual definition of the injury is going to play a big part, because my understanding is at least I've heard different things on this. I remember talking when I was coming to Millwall um, to, to Gary Rout about it about the hamstring thing and he was saying, well, at the end of the day, there isn't that much difference between a pull and a tear and a hamstring. And I thought, mm. that doesn't make that much sense to me. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, he's, he's a football manager with a lot more experience than I do. But, um, it, yeah, if it's a pull, I assume it'll be a few weeks. And if it's a tear, it might be a little bit longer than that. Essentially, you could be looking at kind of the six to eight week mark if it's kind of a serious thing, I'd assume. And then that would mm. be a real blow if it's anything as bad as that um just in terms i mean you look at his goal up but six goals six assists an absolute workhorse up front Mm. uh battles hard wins knockdowns holds up the ball you look at what he did at middlesbrough wasn't it where he dropped deep and and that allowed the space to open up for murray hutchinson losing him would be a a killer blow for any kind of long period of time it would be bad enough going into say qpr and stoke without him Mm. um we obviously know that town probably, regardless, we're going to look for a striker. So, you know, we had all the Jay Stansfield things, for example. Um, this might now be a period where, with Dane Scarlett going back, could they maybe look at two, even at this point? Yeah. a Versatile striker. Um, they are like, and you're thinking as well, Freddie Ladapo. I'm sure we'll get on to him, but there's a good chance that, that he could probably be off in January. Mm. And then you just got Caden Jackson, and Caden Jackson isn't a striker that suits all games by any means. And um, he's often someone that doesn't even get played at striker. Half the time mm. ends up playing out on the right. So it's going to be an interesting one to see how they go to fill that void. I think there's quite a bit of work to be done, especially if Hurst is going to be out for a while.
0: Yeah, Ashley will be firing up the, double, the data dashboard at double <laughs> speed. Um, yeah, he needs another striker. You'd imagine, and we'll find out. Obviously, it's, hopefully, it'll be press conference time tomorrow, and you can ask McKenna about that. Whether there's any update on on the injury, clearly he's going to need scans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you'd imagine he'll be out at least for QPR and Stoke games. Um, just looking at it from the eye test of the injury. Um, what did you make in terms of the the, the KJ and and Ladapo conversation? We've said before that it looks like Freddie may be edging towards the exit door. But I, I thought it was interesting that it was Jackson that came on for Hurst last night instead of Ladapo. They're both warming up and then Mm. KJ gets to nod. What what did you make of that? Can we we draw any conclusions from that? Or is it just a case of maybe kind of thinking that it's one of these games that maybe is is better suited to Jackson in terms of the pressing and his speed?
1: When the change was made, my initial thought was that is the end of Freddie Ladapo. And Ipswich, not like in general, he's not going like, to die or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me just stress that. that, that that's going to be the end of his time at Tad. I, I just thought there's no coming back from that, to be perfectly honest. And then I saw how the game played out. And I thought, in terms of Leicester's back line being quite open, quite versatile, shifting around, lots of little gaps, it really suited Caden Jackson quite well. Mm. It was one of his better games that he's had this season. A um, couple of moments where if he can get a better touch or find a little bit more space um he probably could have got a goal he had a couple of really nice opportunities there as well um so difficult to read too much into it it was also interesting that Jackson got subbed on and then got subbed off at the end yeah um which I was talking to Stu and I was like Stu how do I write that in a report do I like uh, what what do I do it's a little bit strange doing that um so that was an interesting bit to it Freddie probably had a little bit of a frustrating moment at the end I think he had um, a, a chance to get a the goal there shortly before Morsey's deflected shot. But, mm. um, yeah, I think that in terms of the strongest team kind of picture as well, neither of them are necessarily going to be there in the long or even in the medium term. When you look at January, when you look at George Hurst, when you look at what they need to compete um, playing Saturday, Tuesday, or whatever they're going to be doing in the next few weeks, Um I, I don't necessarily think that it changes too much in terms of whether Freddy's going out or not. I, I think there's a fairly good chance that he's going to be going regardless mm. of, of what would have happened last night.
0: Okay. It would be a little, potentially, you'd imagine, a little do, case of do doing mend for the next couple of games. It'd be interesting mm. to see what McKenna does because they really are down to the old bare bones on the striker front now, aren't they? Um, so Hurst goes down. we talked about that. And then Leicester get themselves in front and, um, I'm interested in your take on this goal, because watching it, I was like, how is Steffi Mavadidi, one of the best wingers in the league, certainly one of the best players that Leicester have got, how has he got so wide open? And my, your first instinct is, well, that's a, an error in defence. But I know from reading what Stu was saying last night and also what you've already talked about, that 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 that, that, we, that may be doing Leicester a disservice in terms of creating that space.
1: Yeah, I think so. It was just the, the thing with this... 4-2-3-1 inverted fullback system is it's all about creating the overload it's about mm. adding another body into midfield then add another body into attack and it just creates too much of an overload to the middle and it's actually the end of the day if they then don't crowd the center of the pitch they're just going to get overrun less they're just going to walk into the net as they have done with a lot of their goals so far this season because championship teams aren't equipped to deal with that. Now Ipswich's approach obviously is to go and be narrow and to shut down the space through the middle. But then you've got two very dangerous wingers, one on the right, who is kind of tasked more than anything with tracking back and dealing with Leif Davis. Uh, and mm. then on the left, you had Mavadidi. And as soon as the space kind of narrows through the middle and everyone's flooding through there to stop the attack, Mavadidi's allowed loads of space down the left. He tails off. A uh, nice pass from Dacca to set him up. And you can see as soon as he gets the ball, you know all the quality that he has. And you can see he's just going to curl it in. Mm. Um, I saw a few mentions of Vaz's positioning on this one. I didn't really agree from what I've seen. I thought there wasn't much he could do about that it was a really, really good hit. um yeah. what you expect of a player of his quality. Um, and I think it's maybe similar in a way to Leeds where... It's just Ipswich's style as well. Like you look at Harry Clark had an absolute nightmare against Leeds. It was a horrible, horrible game for him. And the reason why is because he's tasked with pressing halfway up the pitch. He's an attacking fullback. Same with Leif Davis. And they got exploited because Leeds just had two incredible wingers who tore them to shreds. And that's not necessarily anything bad on them per se. Mm. It's just the fact that the system means that some teams are going to have a lot more joy. And, and I think that at times that is what Leicester did.
0: Yeah, it was a great goal from a, from a great player, wasn't it? Uh, mm. And, it, and it, every time I've watched him this season, I've watched Leicester a lot. He's really stood out for me. He's, he's a yep. really, really good player. <clears throat> right. Next key moment then. Fast forwarding on, big penna shout towards the end of the game. I think it's about 75th minute. Um, unsurprisingly, the managers disagree as to whether it was a penalty or not. Essentially, big Cameron yep. Burgess um, collides with, runs into, ushers off the ball, Kiern and <laughs> Dewsbury Hall. It goes flying clearly Moreska said after that it was so clear the penalty it's not even worth talking about described it as a crucial moment clearly that would have been a chance to go it up and perhaps solder the game away mckenna though says strong defending now you're young aj so <laughs> i'm not sure if you can remember back in the 80s and 90s they had this thing called the shoulder barge in football which is mm. where you're perfectly entitled in a 50 50 situation to run into the opponent and, and kind of leave them away from the space. Now for me, and clearly I may be a little bit biased, but I try, try not to be. I thought that was a classic example of that. I didn't think it was a penalty watching it back on the replay. I immediately said to the wife who clearly dissented, that's just a shoulder barge. Nothing wrong with that. Good defending. What's your take on it?
1: All about kind of the application of the law in a sense that it's a subjective thing. Yeah. It's a contact sport. To what extent is it a contact sport? Um, I think yeah, I, I get it in a sense that it was good defending because he positions his body quite well, doesn't he? He gets in front mm. and yeah, he uses his physicality, but at the end of the day, if you're then going forwards, if you're the Leicester player, was it Jewsbury Hall got yeah down in that position? Yeah. Be stronger. You're <laughs> coming up against a strong centre back. Um that being said, the letter of the law I know is stricter on these kind of things now, isn't it? the end mm. of the day, and and then if you're Enzo Moreski, you're probably thinking, well, if you go to the AR in the Premier League, they're probably going to give that. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: so... You'd be absolutely fuming, wouldn't you, on the Leicester side of things? If that was a, a yeah. penalty not given to town, we'd probably be sitting here saying, that should have been a penalty. Um,
1: yeah. But... So oh, it's it's difficult. My, my heart kind of says, no, he's the stronger player and he used mm. his strength. And it wasn't disadvantaging Jusby Hall by doing something illegal, but also by the letter of the law. Was it? And would you be frustrated? Yeah, so I feel bad kind of having not really come to a conclusion here. My heart says no penalty, but my brain probably is a bit like, uh, in the letter of the law, I I think it probably would have been in in most situations with VAR Uh, and, yeah, by looking at uh, what the rules state.
0: And I think it definitely falls into the category of you've seen those given. Oh, yeah. But for me, as I've explained, and I like to think I'm not – overwhelmingly biased in this scenario (laughs) um it was just a strong shoulder barge some good defending alan hansen would have loved it back in the day um okay so it wasn't a penalty aj and then just some writing Ipswich town last night lost one nil at home to high flying leicester city blah 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 blah. creditable performance all that kind of stuff um up up steps the skipper and uh, ping pong would be the way to describe it um scores equalized doesn't really matter how it goes in, it does go in um, though. What, what was your, what was your feeling? What Cause I, I pretty much decided that they were going to lose as much as they mm. were, you know, trying to throw the kitchen sink at it. Um, it had that feeling that it was, it was going to end up one nil. Um, so for morsey to step up, tremendous.
1: Yeah, I think to be perfectly honest, I thought it was either going to be one, one or two nil, because I thought that town were doing enough to get the equaliser. They were so good in that second half. Their mm. game management was excellent, they were dominant. Um, Leicester decided that about 70 minutes, uh, one goal's enough, we don't care. Um, time wasting they in the defensive position. It was really bizarre, mm. I thought, because they were there to they could have gone and killed the game off. They had the quality. If you bring on someone like Kalecchi and Nacho and and the others that they had coming on, Casadei and, and other strong attacking talents, then they should have been able to have hit on the counter as Town are trying to You know open up and take the initiative and and they didn't and that was a bit strange um you think a side like leeds absolutely would have gone and and done that but it wasn't leicester's approach and it just allowed town to really get their feet and and just keep creating the spaces were there but they just were lacking the final shot Mm. um and then yeah sam morsey bloody hell um you could tell it took quite a wicked deflection. You didn't really tell, actually, from our view that it took two. So mm. what is it? The first one comes off Ricardo Pereira's leg, and then I think it's diverting wide, and then it bounces off Vestigar's Vestigar, head and he yeah. just diverts it, diverts it straight into the net. Um, my favourite thing about this, actually, is the social media reaction from fans of Southampton and this is particularly Leeds United who say, <laughs> this would never happen to our club. It's always lucky Ipswich, no. you get these moments. Yeah. And It happened after the Watford game, for example, when Morsey kind of pounced on the mistake. And mm. It happens a lot and you just can't help but laugh a little bit. Um, who cares? At the end of the day, it's not how they go in, it's the fact they go in and to be honest, um, Town did more than enough to get a point from that one, at least.
0: Absolutely, 100%. They they absolutely deserve the draw. Um, what about the game as a whole then, in terms of performances, AJ? Um, talk to me about who you liked. I thought Marcus Harness played really well. Um, Again, kind of yeah. coming in from the cold. He looks so much more confident now whenever he's playing. I really like to see him with his head up, as it were. Uh, and I think you gave, was it Chaplin you made man of the match?
1: Yeah, it was a tricky one, that. And in hindsight, I don't know if I would have gone another way. I mean, these player ratings are always difficult when you've got a deadline that's about 20 minutes off. Oh, yes. The, yeah, absolutely. The full yeah. time whistle. Um, and looking back on it, yeah, I probably would agree that, that Hans would have maybe been the, the way to go because there was a lot to like about his performance with the way that he came in narrow and the way that Town dealt with the Leicester overloads was basically by having a narrow winger who came inside and, and added another body did a lot of kind of defensive work, dropped deep, um, managed to carry the ball really well. He's so smooth on the ball, isn't mm. he? So much fun to watch. And I think that there are games where uh, he's, he's one of those players where he can do it once every kind of three or four and on a consistent basis, it, it's, it's proved to be maybe a little bit of a struggle for him. But when he's on it, he is on it. He's so mm. good. Um, Connor Chaplin took the initiative. That was what stood out to me. He didn't score. He had a couple of good opportunities. But he was the one who kind of said, oh, screw this. I'm just going to give it a go. Forced a good save. Had another one that came over the bar. It was kind of impressed with the way that he wanted to really get forward. Mm. Um, The back line, really good. Like Limiting the best team in the league to scraps, basically. They had one good chance, which was the Mavadini one, a couple of others, I suppose. You know, you have the penalty incident and a few other situations, but they defended really well. Luke and good on the ball. Harry Clark criticising all you want for the goal. I don't think that's fair, but I just thought that he offered so much, a goal-saving block at one point. Um, Leif Davis, limited more than most weeks, but also at the same time, created five chances. Cameron yeah. Burgess, physical dominant. Um, for a town team that leaks goals at home, I think that would be fair to say. I was yeah. really, really impressed with how they, they shaped up there.
0: Yeah, Burgess is a tank, isn't he? I really like watching him
1: defend. What about Jack then Taylor? Well, with, with Burgess, I mean, they've got a problem coming into mm. um, January, don't they, with the fact that they're now going to be down to three centre-backs. Yeah, um, You're going to lose Elkhorn Bagger, and you're probably losing your, your best-performing centre-back of the season so far, and that, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how they want to approach that.
0: Well, Zebby's the plan there, isn't he? They've clearly been build, building here. But then
1: where do you go after that? Because you go Twanzebe... And wolfen both right-sided defenders. You've got George Edmondson, you've got three centre backs there. Your mate Dominic Ball, mate. Yeah, that's fair enough. But then do you go in with three kind of natural centre backs, one who hasn't played that much, mm. two who are right-sided, um, and then one who's kind of a versatile cover all positions player. Like that's one where you'd think can they sustain that for a period of you know, a month, six weeks when there are big games and there they're going to have to go to Leicester. They're going to play Sunderland. And, and mm. there's, there's a lot coming up in that bit.
0: What are you saying then? You sign in another centre-back in this window, given that you've got, mm. Burgess yeah. is definitely going to be away for a little while. Is is it is it worth going out and signing one, do you reckon?
1: I think the loan market's an interesting one going into January, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way of looking at it. And it is tricky thinking about the fact that you have three very good centre-backs there um one who can definitely step up and another who you probably wouldn't want playing in a championship week in, week out, but it is good and solid. Mm. Um, You add another one to that and then you kind of have a bit of an overload in, in the second half of the season. That's not what you want. Also, you're going to be short in, mm. in January and February and, and that's a problem that they're going to face. And there's a problem a lot of clubs are going to face. I've been looking at what Leicester have got to deal with yeah. for um AFCON and the Asian Cup and they're losing about a third of their team. Yeah. Um, what about Jack Taylor, mate?
0: Before we start, we we got off on a tangent there. Jack Taylor obviously started last night. Um, mm-hmm. Longo was rested. Clearly a very busy time. What did you make of him in this game?
1: Um, he was given a very strict task, wasn't he? Which is basically stick to Kim Dewsbury Hall like glue. Um, yeah. <laughs> run around, chase and make sure that he's limited. Um, which I think was good in the sense that he, he did a good job of it. Um, and I think it was important because I think Kim Dewsbury Hall, probably for my money... Is definitely top three players in the league. Oh, yeah. Somerville, maybe Mavridi in there. Um, possibly the best in, in mm. the division at the, at the moment. It was so important to keep them quiet. And uh, Jack Taylor did it. <clears throat> and having a specialist game plan worked in that sense. The bit that obviously became tricky is if you're going to stick to Dewsbury Hall, you're going to leave Sam Morsey on his own to do a lot of the defending. And I think he found that a little bit tricky on his own, also trying to not get that tenth yellow card. Um but with what he tossed what he was tasked to do, a few nice moments on the ball, off the ball, obviously, doing some some good defensive work, um a hard role in a hard game, but was pretty impressed with him.
0: Okay. Any other notes from the game before we move on to a bit of uh sexy stuff which is happening kind of happened overnight?
1: Um Vaz. Loved him in possession, some really nice moments. And I think mm. the, the highlight had to be when he kept the ball in with his head. don't know if you got to see that on the cameras, but as the ball's about to trickle out and he gets down and keeps it in, oh, brilliant. I, I was yeah. really impressed with him last night. And I, I know that there's been <clears throat> some criticisms, which I, I don't understand personally, each to their own at the end of the day. But I really thought that he was impressive.
0: Mm. Well, that's a perfect place to start with the sexy stuff then, AJ, <laughs> uh, with your man Hladke, because... Um, He's been linked to Celtic. Now, clearly it's the season for, for for links and we, we, we had one of our own last week. We did Jay Stansfield link, but unusually when players are linked to clubs, you don't often see quotes in the media from their agent, um, which in this case we have seen. So do you want to talk a little bit about this?
1: Yeah, this one, I, I did see this mentioned about a week ago and I kind of disregarded it as a little bit of a flimsy link coming from you know one of those kind of news aggregator sites yeah that you don't really think too much of um the ones who do reports like i've seen leaf davis linked to west ham things like that um and you don't think too much about it and then i had a look last night and i saw a bit from a few days ago pre-christmas which was um that one coming up again with comments from the agent, which was the surprise. As you mm. said, it's not really something that you see too much of. Um, where Vaz's agent has come out and said there is interest. Basically there are clubs who've kind of made inquiries because he's coming to the end of his contract runs out in the summer. Um, and that the priority at the end of the day is to sign a new deal at town and to win promotions to the Premier League. So that's the positive that comes from it. Um, in terms of the link itself, I mean, it's come from the Czech Republic, so uh, I don't know, their knowledge of um, Ipswich and of Celtic, I, I'm not necessarily convinced, but at the end of the day, it was a Czech player and a Czech agent. Mm. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> if there is anything in it, obviously it's a fantastic opportunity for him because it's still a, a club that wins league titles every single season, pretty much, and and competes in the Champions League, all those sorts of things. Um But I think he's found something good here, to be honest. So whether he'd want to make that switch, having stayed local for such a long time, I don't know. Mm. Uh, Whether there's too much in it, I don't know. It's always going to be this kind of busy season around the January transfer window, isn't it? Regardless, in terms of agents putting things up, in terms of contract renewals, all those sorts of things. Um, uh, Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. But um, he'd definitely be one I'd be quick to hand a contract to if I'm uh, hip switched town.
0: Absolutely. And maybe it's no surprise that we're starting to see this, given the uh, the strong position that he's in currently. Um, mm. As you say, out of contract, uh will clearly be interested, as you imagine, in a, in a new and improved contract, given how well he's performed. Yeah. Um, and the, we should stress, the agent says the priority is to sign a new contract and then move on to the Premier League. So um, yeah. interesting to see what happens there. And the other bit of um, sexy stuff in terms of transferring is thoroughly expected. we talked about it already. I guess um, compounds what happened last night is that Dane Scarlett has been recalled by Spurs um, just as George Hurst goes down injured. So we expected it, AJ. What, what have you made of Scarlett in his time at town and, and the kind of general situation now with him going back? I guess it, it just really expedites the need for to get someone else in through the door, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. I thought it was a bit of a strange move when it happened just because Town had quite a few options up front and he didn't feel like the high pedigree striker that could compete with George Hurst. Obviously, Kieran McKenna liked him. Mm. I'm sure he still does like him. I don't think he hates him or anything like that. Um, But it was just one where it it felt a little bit strange. You're asking a player then to step up to the championship having um, really kind of... Been a a, focal point in League One done quite well but still not set the world on fire in terms of his League One performances Um, and he looked fine that was kind of it, he looked okay Um, he was a little bit lightweight but had some good moments more than anything Mm. Um, you can't ignore the fact that overall he had what less than two and a half hours in total off the bench, he's played one minute in December which was right at the end against Norwich, that was it um So, it felt like he was a victim of Town's success in terms of having a strong team there. He was a victim of the fact that he couldn't play in the Carabao Cup because he would have got minutes in that. Uh, obviously, he played for Spurs. So, yeah, I think it's the right decision all round. I think the frustration for him will be he can't go out on loan in January. Mm. So, yeah, where they go from there, where he goes from there, I, I'm not too sure in, in terms of... um. I suppose Spurs have Asian Cup things, for example, with Son going off. They'll need a spot on the bench. Yeah, um, They'll probably think that he's a good bet to have a few minutes in the under-23s and they can reassess in the summer. Um, but this has probably been a kind of a tough welcome to the championship for him. I think he is a championship-level player, just maybe not one who's going to be able to to contribute at this moment in time to a side that wants to win promotion.
0: Hmm. Farewell, Dane. We barely knew you. Um, <laughs> let's move on then, shall we, in the spirit of football. On to the next one. And the next one comes pretty bloody quickly, AJ. Friday night yep. at Portman Road again, back-to-back home games against QPR. Now, when I did the, the, the festive four preview, QPR were looking at, you know, a decent, improved level of opposition under Cifuentes. Um I think they've only lost two of eight under since he'd come in. But they've lost the last two now. Uh, they lost to, I think it was Southampton on Boxing Day, was it? And then they lost to Millwall as well um, hmm. uh, yesterday. So perhaps licking their wounds a little bit as they head to, to, head to Portman Road. He says check in that it was Southampton.
1: Yeah, Southampton on Saturday and then Millwall Boxing That's Day right. early yep. off. Yeah. Southampton won, I think. You can't progress them too much because it's a tough, tough game aside from beating unbeaten now in 16 uh, and... I mean, I'll, I'll do a little piece on this coming up soon, but i would mm. probably said I'd have the best chance of uh, catching up with town in Southampton uh, April 1st. Mark your diaries. That's going to be a huge game. Um, and then in terms of the Millwall one, I think that was the concern because Millwall had been dire since mm. uh, they made the managerial switch, even before then, to be perfectly honest. Um, you could see when they came to town that their setup was just a little bit muddled with the wrong players in a system that they weren't used to. Um, and yet, I think that they were pretty well beaten at the den and that would certainly raise some big kind of warning signs for, from QPR in terms of, well, it's definitely honeymoon period over, isn't it? Um, I know that fans have been frustrated with some of the tactical decisions, some of the selection decisions. They've got a good squad there. It's a squad that is more than capable of staying up. Mm. But it just feels like again they've been kind of brought back down to reality after an impressive little bit. And also, I think one of the bits that they're going to struggle with on Friday, famous last words. Obviously, they're a team that like to play football. They want to play. They want to play open, expansive style. And Town have a, a record of just picking teams like that apart. They mm. did it to Hull, for example. Um, this is not the QPR side that Town played in the reverse fixture under Gareth Ainsworth that's pretty solid this is one that will come to play um and on their current form I think I think that could be quite a risk
0: yeah um I guess that the questions around town are, are going to be be amazing first the first plays after that injury uh, uh, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna See what happens striker-wise, and I guess mm. in terms of rotation as well, whether or not Twenzevi comes back in, you'd imagine go will come back in. Um Any any early thoughts? I appreciate that you've only literally just covered the game last night and we're a couple of days <laughs> out from another game, but have you got any, mm. any thoughts about what you think McKenna might do with the side, what you would do with
1: the side? It's really tricky, isn't it? Because they've got to go to Stoke in a few days. And yeah. that's a long trip, and it's New Year's, and you're just thinking they're having to churn these out. It's not like it's just up the road going up to Stoke either. Um so that's that's difficult in terms of finding that balance. Um Luongo would be one I'd bring back in former team again. So he, he likes playing former teams. He speaks about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um he has a lot of them. Blimey, I think they've already played three of his former teams this season. Um, so that's a nice one for him. I think that he'll be keen to start. Nathan Broadhead's probably one. You'll want some minutes. You don't want mm-hmm. to kind of keep him up for too long just to can have his fitness. Twanzebe, yeah. I think at some point, you've got to bear in mind that QPR are a fairly high-pressing side, so maybe he's better at dealing with that than Wolfenden, although Twenzeme did have an absolute nightmare against Leeds, so hard balance to find in that sense. Um, From there, would you consider giving Marcus Harness another run out given how he performed against Leicester? That's probably an option there. Um, Do you look at someone like Brandon Williams to give Harry Clark a rest, who's just Mm. been putting in absolutely huge shifts... and and had some tough games where he's been run ragged. Hard balance to find. You don't want to kind of burn these players out, even though they'll have a little bit of a a breather kind of after the Stoke game, knowing that McKenna's probably going to make 11 changes for Wimbledon. Oh my God, that's a week and a half away, by the way. Um, (laughs) How has that come up so quickly? Um, But it's just getting through these next couple without trying to burn these players out too much. I think that's going to be really important. It's a hard, hard balance to find
0: busy old time christmas isn't it um okay mm. mate I, I won't i won't ask you for a prediction i'll, I'll share my <laughs> prediction which was three nil ahead of uh the festive period it, I, mm-hmm. it felt to me like you say like hopefully a more routine home win for town the sort of team that they've been beating fairly consistently at home yeah um so i've gone i had gone three nil um, hopefully that, that plays out. It will be fascinating, obviously, to see what happens with the striker situation. Just before we end, AJ, what about reflecting on, on where we stand as the the final couple of games, final game of the year approaches? Um, because obviously, clearly, because of the way town has started, expectations have risen. Um, mm-hmm. And then it felt quite deflating what happened at Leeds. Um, again, if you compare the two sides, the value of the sides insane that, that you know is there an expectation that town should be competing and beating these sort of sides and then obviously finishing with that that great comeback against Leicester. Um we need to we need to remember don't we as we as we enter 2024 that what town are doing is spectacular, extraordinary unprecedented um and yes there is that higher level expectation clearly but this is great i mean this is still fantastically enjoyable
1: yeah they've set the bar high themselves they've done Mm. it with their own performances and their own results and if we were at this period in the season and town were let's say eighth or ninth maybe two three points off the playoffs Mm. we'd all be happy if that was like we'd all be like yeah cool that's fine that was kind of the expectation at this point a team that could challenge for the playoffs and be there or thereabouts this now feels like a team that it would take fairly seismic shockingly bad run to fall out of the playoffs oh yeah and they feel like a, a good good bet to get top two. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that they will, and and you look at the sides below with the quality that they have, with the fact that they've still got to to play Southampton, it's tricky. Um, But I don't think that at the end of the day, people aren't going to be like heartbroken and gutted if they do miss out, because they're coming up against probably three of the strongest sides in the history of the division. Mm. Um, And they're competing with that, and, and that's astonishing, isn't it? The fact that Leeds, for example, were playing the best teams in the country. And now they're they're down here and they are visibly frustrated with the fact that Town are grinding up wins every week. Um, and it's a town side who are playing Forest Green last season. So yeah. all about perspective to an extent. Um, at the same time, yeah, they've got themselves into such a wonderful position now. Um, and as well, you think they've got to go to Leicester. That will be tough. They've got to play Southampton at home. That will probably be, I'd say, the biggest game of the season. We'll have to wait and see in terms of what it means for the top end of the table, in terms of Southampton's current run, be huge. Um, but they've also taken—they played Leeds twice. They've got those two out of the way. That's mm. two of their three defeats in the league. Unbelievably, they've lost the same amount of games as the best team in the history of the league. Um, the levels they're hitting are absurd, abnormally high. Um Will there be another wobble? Well say another like this is one. I mean, <laughs> will there be a... Yeah. That's a little bit a little bit harsh, probably. Yeah. But will there be a moment where, you know, they can go two, three, four games unbeaten when you look into February and March? Probably, yeah. But considering that that happens to Southampton and that happens to Leeds, happens to Leeds most weeks at this point. Um, yeah, what what is there to stop them from being one of the top teams? So enjoy it because town are one of the top teams and that that is not something that any of us expected i don't think
0: yeah astonishing is the right word isn't it astonishing mm. and as you say friends just enjoy it fantastic <laughs> uh, aj before we uh, take our leave what was what was the highlight for you of christmas was there a particular highlight Ooh. i know clearly you've been working a lot we've all been working a lot but have you uh, have you had time to have some glad tidings
1: you expect me to say yes, it was me working on Christmas Eve, <laughs> things <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was writing the blessed match preview. Um, family time, you know, yeah. that's important. I, I think that working from home is a, a blessing in a sense that you can kind of sit on the sofa and do it around your family, and that's quite nice. Um, but it's nice to be able to sit there and just watch terrible TV, that's great. Like, I have no interest in EastEnders whatsoever, but my god, that EastEnders episode on Christmas Eve was just so funny. I had no idea what was going on, and it was hilarious. Um, I've watched
0: EastEnders for about 20 years, but it always seems to me the bleakest place to be at Christmas, and I understand that there's particular bleakness going on at Albert Square at the
1: moment. Yeah, as um, Christmas traditions, I think, are weddings and murders. Murders, yeah. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but both of those things played a role this year. Um, I remember one of my earliest memories is when someone got hit on the uh, on the head by the statue of the Queen Vic in the park. Oh, that was that was when that
0: dirty. Way. Dirty den got off, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, like two thousand and
1: seven or something like that. Yep. I remember watching that, and I think that was the last one I truly remember. And this this one this year was probably up there in terms of just hilarious stupidity and chaos.
0: Yeah, it's um, ne- no one has a happy Christmas in Albert Square. You know, you, no. you see. These nonsense surveys come around about the happiest places to live in the UK. Mm. Albert Square percentage rating of happiness very very low, particularly around Christmas. Yeah. Um, mm. I think my highlight friend. I've got a bit of a, a bit of a weird thing about stationery. Like I've got a someone say a little fetish for stationery, not in that way, but I, I just like nice stationery. Um, so the wife has bought me a, a new pen, and I've got a I've got a, uh, a very posh. Um, what's the world? embossed? Uh, signature notebook which oh wow i absolutely love just looking at but the problem is what do i put in it what what is valuable enough to commit to writing in this notebook so that's my big problem i just like looking at it to be honest um so that would definitely be my highlight my weird my weird stationary addiction has been fed over christmas as well as my big old tum tum um friends anything else to mention aj
1: no further business um yeah Everyone on to another game in like twenty minutes or whenever it gets <laughs> it does it's feel like blurred that. Blurred into it? one. It's yeah. all just kind of blurred into one. Uh, I kind of feel like I need a lie down. It feels like yeah. is just, it's all yeah, it's it's very strange with it being twenty-third, 29th. I, I don't really know what day of the week it is. I actually woke up not knowing what day of the week it is. So um yeah. I I didn't get to sleep until about two, having typed up lots of Marcus Harness, all those kind of things. This is what we live for.
0: Exactly. It certainly is. And there's another game coming just down the track. I think this, friends, this is going to be the last time we speak to you in podcast form until the, uh, until next year, as people love to say, and then give a little chuckle at this time of year. (laughs) See you next year. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we will see you next year, friends. So whatever you're doing for Christmas, I hope you continue to enjoy it. I hope you've got plenty of time off to enjoy it with your family uh, and continue to enjoy it through the next two district town games. We'll be back next week to talk to you in 2024 after the qpr and stoke games hopefully things will still be looking good um all that's left to remind you then is just support our sponsor use the code koa at manscape.com get yourself 20 off there uh, and free delivery if you want a little new year treat new year less hairy you in 2024 uh, and also friends leave us a five story on itunes um because we'll not having one of those in a while it'd be nice to get a couple of those pushing forward into 2024 friends thanks for joining us i hope you enjoyed this little mini twixmas podlet have a great continuation of your christmas continue eating those peanuts smashing that pork turkey leftovers all that sort of stuff enjoy it friends and we'll speak to you next time